hello, hello again, you guys. Welcome back to That One Blank Friend with me, Sadia Rashid. Yeah, it's me. It's Sadia. I'm back. Season two, second episode. Um, I've been catching up on a lot of TV, and I have been presently surprised that I have been able to find something during this time that I can really uh, sink my teeth into. I've been watching a lot of cool things. Who out there is watching Pea Valley on Stars? Oh my god, I just finished watching it. That is my shit. It's a good show. And you're gonna when I tell you what it's about, it's about a strip club in Louisiana. Yes, it is as awesome as it sounds because you get a lot of girls that are twerking and doing a lot of incredible pole work. But also there are some really, really distinct and standout characters in the show. So I'm not going to tell you too much more because I'm, now I'm giving them a free advertisement. But go watch it. It's awesome. It's amazing. I'm mad because I just blazed through the first season and now I got to wait for the second season. So I don't what am I going to watch? Oh, I'm watching uh, Lovecraft Country on HBO. That's good. It's so good. I'm so, so excited for that show and just the the storytelling that is being done on that show. So that's really cool, too. Also, oddly enough, I didn't think I was going to be into it. But Cobra Kai is on Netflix and... I was like, oh, maybe I'll maybe I'll watch it. You know, the 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 trailer seemed interesting, and I know I'm like what a year behind or year or two behind because it was on YouTube, but just started watching that, and it's good. I have been kind of blazing through that as well, so I think I'm on first season one, episode six. So yeah, I'm super excited about that. That's what I'm watching. What are you guys watching out there? I know there's a lot of stuff. Enough about that. Let's talk about adoption and fostering. Um, I don't know anything about that world. I I don't know anything. And I've always wondered, what does it take to be that person in someone's life, to be a foster, to transition into adopting and what that journey is like? And I'm so grateful to have my friend today, uh, Kefele, uh, who is going to share a little bit of his journey with adopting his son. I had a good time talking to Kefele and watching him in his Zoom cloud background. (laughs) I think that's the fun thing about recording on Zoom is now seeing what backgrounds people are going to use and seeing him come in and out of the cloud. So I think at one point he mentions it in the conversation. So uh, yeah, uh, good talk, good chat. Um, Before we go into this conversation, if you are loving what we are giving you, then head on over to iTunes, rate, subscribe, give us a review, tell us how much you love us, don't hold back, come on, share it. If you're on Spotify, just listen. If you're on neither, I don't know how you're getting it, but I don't care because you're listening. But what I want you to do is just share, share the podcast with one person. Maybe send them a text, maybe send them an email of your favorite episode or just say, hey, I'm listening to this. I like this. I want to share it with you. Every little bit helps right now to just get the word out and get these stories out. So I hope that you feel generous enough to do that. And yeah, with that being said, let's get into this conversation with Kefele. I'm going to say at some point he is probably going to wake up and make a whole lot of noise when he comes out of his room. Oh. <laughs> you see me throwing something, you know that's what it was. Throwing into the clouds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I have today my friend Kefele. Hi. Hi. How are you? I'm good. How are you in this uh, lockdown situation? I- you know what? I mean, I'm so used to it now. Uh, so I'm just living my best life at home. <laughs> so getting things off my chore list that have been on there for months. So, what has been the thing that you've gotten off that's been most rewarding? Uh, you know what? So I have 10 million t-shirts and for years I've been threatening to make them into a t-shirt quilt. So I finally found the company <laughs> to do it. and But I have to cut the shirts up in order to uh, make the quilt. So I've been cutting t-shirts, um, which is a lot more stressful than one would think. 
because uh, you're trying to keep straight lines. You're trying not to cut too much or too little and not myself with the scissors because I got like uh, fabric scissors, which are super sharp. So when I first started doing this, clearly I've been using scissors for like 40 some odd years and still I'm like cutting up my fingers because <laughs> I don't know how to cut safely. So, <laughs> um, I don't think so, yeah. I own any fabric scissors. I didn't know that they were that sharp, that much sharper than regular scissors. Well, you know what? Yeah, because well, they were definitely sharper than the other scissors I tried to use. But yeah, they cut through the fabric like butter. So wow mm -hmm. okay well i know Fele through my sister-in-law stacy that's how we met you guys are besties yes and i have him here today because i think he's had a very interesting journey as far as adoption and fostering and i just wanted to get your i want i you know i don't know the full story like okay. i've heard smatterings of it so I thought this would be really helpful for people that might be considering adoption, you know, how, how that has been for you, how it evolved. So let's go to the very beginning when you first had the idea of fostering. Where did that come from? Sure. So I go even further back. So my first thought was that I know I want to have kids. Um, so I knew I wanted to be a parent and have kids. And at first I I thought I was going to meet a nice lesbian and we were going to have a child together because I'm gay. <laughs> and so I, the, the natural childbirth thing is not an option. And so I thought I'd meet a nice lesbian and we would co-parent and we'd live in a ginormous house with wings. So she'd have one wing and I'd have another and we'd have common space in the middle where we would raise the children together with our families, our partners and live a happy life in suburbia somewhere. I'm loving that um, vision. Yeah. So, but <laughs> you had right, it all thought out. I had it all thought out, but could not find anyone to commit uh, to a long-term co-parenting relationship with me. So then the next thought was to do surrogacy because uh, that's an option now. Because you know, back in the when I was younger, there was the whole like surrogacy was very scandalous because of right. like you know baby M and all of that stuff. But now surrogacy is also super expensive, and one of the questions was, do I want to you know, do that, or would I like to have a, a really expensive car? Because uh, that's what it is. Or a house in some parts of the country, not any of the parts that I live in, though. Because, uh, I mean, surrogacy is probably upwards of 120, probably to like 180,000, if not more. Oh, wow. I didn't know. Yeah, it was it's expensive in the United States. Because uh, I also wanted to do it domestically because I want my child to be able to be president if they want to. I know that's so. right. <laughs> So you already I love how far like I'm, far ahead you're thinking. I'm far ahead, yes. They need to be eligible to be a president. They need to be United eligible States. to be president of the United States. So there was that part. And at the time I was like, well, I I'm not gonna have that money. And funny enough that you say you know me through Stacy. So I was in New York minding my own business and she texted me uh and she sent a picture of a poster that was on the, the Long Island Railroad. So it was like a subway advertisement looking for foster parents. And they were like, we don't care if you're gay, straight, black, white, we don't care. If you want to be a parent, we want to help you. So I called up and I went through the training to find out like what you have to do to become a foster parent. And in my work, I work in higher education. So I had been working with sort of emancipated foster youth who were in, in school through different programs, one we had called Guardian Scholars. Uh, so I'd met some folks and was working with, with those groups. And I had seen some things on television and different folks who were talking about adoption and adoption through foster care, because also just as equally as surrogacy is, in, is expensive, so is adoption. And again, at that time, I was quite broke. Um, <laughs> and I'm still relatively broke, but not as broke as I used to be. So now when I have the ramen noodles, it's because I'm trying to do something fancy, but uh, it, it's not because I have to eat them. Right. Um, I was making an elote ramen the other day, which was quite fabulous, if I do say so myself. You know, um, there is some good ramen out there. There, there is. There so, really is. So I was doing that. So with getting really quick into the cost of adoption, yeah. how, how much do you think you spent? Oh, me? Nothing. So that was the other joy of adoption through foster care. So there's no cost. Uh, um, okay. So that's all taken care of, at least in California. So that was covered through the foster care agency uh, and they did everything. And I just signed paperwork and showed up at court. But I mean, there's a process to get to that part. Right. Like, so I had to, so 
we're still full, by the way, we're still in New York in this part of the journey. So I was in New York on Staten Island. I went through a training there. I feel, I don't even remember how many weeks it was, but it felt like a hundred thousand, but it was like eight to 10 classes that I had to go through. And what kind of classes are they? They were like parenting classes. So trauma informed parenting classes because parenting through foster care is not the same way as parenting as we were parented. Uh, so you have to have a completely different toolbox that you can use, mainly when you're dealing with discipline. And not that I use, a, I'm not a corporal punishment person, uh, but there, that is not an option in any way, shape or form. The sort of language and how you verbally uh, discipline, how you verbally affirm. Uh, so there's a number of different skills that you have to learn to parent in a way that is very different, I think, than the way we were parented. And sort of really understanding backstory, also life with a child who you, there's a whole bunch of things that you don't know. There's some things you kind of know, but other things you don't. And gaps that'll get filled in just through time, some gaps that'll get filled in by the, the child. So there's just a lot of unknowns. And then there's also a lot of relationship stuff that happens that you sort of have to work through and work around. Because there's very few situations, I think, in foster care where you're the first placement and the permanent placement. While that would be ideal, that's not always the case. So they go through all of those things, like how a child can come into care, what the process is through for reunification with the parent, if that's going to happen, what happens if parental rights get terminated, and then once, what are all the options after parental rights get terminated, if, if those are the things. So everyone's a different option, so you, you don't know what you're going to get. Uh, and so they just prepare you for everything, basically. They prepare you for everything. So that's all of the things they talk about in the class. They talk to you about how to parent. They talk to you about dealing with the dealing with trauma, so trauma-informed parenting. They talk with you about you know the importance of therapy. Um, they talk to you about you know the importance of relationships and building those relationships. So there's a lot of those a lot of those things that they go through. Then once you get done with all of that, you know they do a background check, they do a psychological test. You have to get a physical exam. You have to sort of show your financial status. Uh, so you go through all of those processes, lots of questions. They come in, they interview you, they ask you all sorts of questions. They get all up in your business. They call your friends. They get all up in your friend's business. <laughs> How um, many friends of yours did they call? Um, I think I had to give them three to four references. Okay. Um, and so they reached out and talked to those folks and asked questions. You know, I had to get some references filled out. And then once they go with that, um, and you know, they have to come in and look at the house and make sure everything is ready to go. Um, so it was funny. So I was decorating my room. At first, you know, there's like, you have the bed, the dresser, nightstand, mattress, right. all of that yeah, stuff. Get it looking cute. ready to go to yeah. their standards. Yeah. So all of those things. So you just get that set up. And I did it. And, you know, I, I remember I posted it on Facebook and everybody was hating on it. Uh, and they were like, it looks like a jail. And I was like, oh, God. <laughs> so I had to go out and get some more stuff. And so, you know, made the room look nice um, right. and was ready to go. And I think they were ready to give me a placement. And then I got a job in San Diego. So I was like, well, sorry, kid, I'm going to go. So I moved to San Diego and I went through the whole process again because uh, they don't have foster parent transfer credits. Uh, so what I had in New York did not transfer over. So I had to go through the whole process again here, um, which was fine. And was and it, was there anything different about it? Or was it, it was, it was very different. Some of the stuff was still there, but it's sort of like, there were still some other things that were still different um, within the process, but it was good. Like I, I, again, I don't think you can ever get too much training right. um, for it. What do you think was, as far as the difference, what was something that stood out for you between the two trainings? I think, well, one, my, the size of the classes. So my New York class was super small. I think I had the same, like I, I built a better relationship with the trainer I had in New York. And so, so there was definitely a, a, a good connection there. I didn't, it, not to say that I had the same, it wasn't that the ones in San Diego were worse. Uh, it was just different. There were three of them. I was tired. I was also mad because I was like, I already went through this training. <laughs> <laughs> you already don't want to be there. You're like, I, I know all this. Yeah. Well, then I did the crammy too, because there was, I think it was nine sessions and I did the weekends. So I did like 
three hours in the morning and three hours in the afternoon. So it was like six hours. So that was a lot, but it was still good. It was still good. Um, Were these, you know, I forgot to ask, were these classes in person or over online? Oh, this was like, they, I don't think we still had the internet when I was doing these. These were in-person classes. No, I'm just kidding. We did have the internet. It wasn't that long ago, (laughs) but they were in person. Okay. And luckily both times they were not too far from where I lived. So at least I wasn't going very far to do it. You know, you would go and, and there was, there was a lot. So there was, it was good to learn. And I, I appreciate both trainings. So, and they were a little different, but they were both still good. But I, I honestly cannot remember the distinction between the two of them. Um, so then I did that whole thing again. And it's an interesting process because you sort of get to meet a lot of other folks and sort of see, you know, why folks are doing this or what brings them to this because you sort of got two types. You know, there's some folks who are, uh, some folks who just want to foster, some folks who want to adopt. Uh, sometimes they're family members as well because one of the things that happens is if there's a situation where something happens and they need to place a child in a home first and foremost they would like to put them with someone who's a near relative so um so first stop but depending on what happens you know sometimes that doesn't happen immediately so i sort of say the the general rule of thumb is anytime you hear something that happens in the news uh and the parents are dead you're like "Mm, that kid's going into foster care possibly just for a short period of time while they locate the next of kin or another relative to be able to do that so then you know depending on where those people are sometimes they can't get there somebody you know they have to do it immediately that's sort of the best case scenario they have a relative they go with the relative so the trauma bridge is not that that long or you know you have a situation where something happens i think so one of the examples that i always remember from the class that they gave was there was a mom and she was raising a, a child and she had bounced some checks not necessarily anything malicious or anything just you know we all bounce checks and there's too many of them. And so then that mom had to go to jail for bouncing the checks and the kid had nowhere to go. So that child has to go into foster care. Um, So that's like an example. And then they gave another example of, I think there was a mother and father. uh, Mom was a nurse who worked at night. Dad had lost his job. Dad was drinking and mom and dad were having an argument and, you know, dad was flailing around, accidentally hits one of the kids. Right. The kid, they take him to the hospital. The kid has a bruise. The hospital's the mandated reporter. And so then CPS comes in. So then they've got a case. And in this scenario, because of that, you know, until things got resolved, dad had to move out. Mom was working at night, didn't have anyone to take care of the kids, left the kids at home. I'm trying to think. This It was like a series of unfortunate events. Yeah. Then I think mom had to go to work, left the kids. One of the kids got up and was out wandering the street. CPS got called, you know, second case. Then, oh, Lord. And then I think the same kid fell down some stairs, had another bruise, went back to the hospital. Boom, you know. Yeah. Um, and th- uh, this was just an example, you know. So there's so many yeah, different things like that happen. Yeah, that's like worst case. Yeah, this that's is like. That's, yeah, a series of really. So, a series of unfortunate events um, where some of those things would happen or there's so many things there are so many different things that can happen and we tend to see like like the worst cases but i think there was another case here in san diego that was in the news where like the parent with like seven kids and they were driving got into a car accident both parents died oh my goodness seven kids all minors you know what happens to them and then that's the joy too of trying to place seven kids in one home so there's so many different reasons why it happens. You know, in most cases, the goal is to hopefully reunify with a parent or a family. If that doesn't happen, then they stay in foster care. And then if there's no, you know, parent or family, then the next hope is that the family that is fostering would move to adoption. Right. And that's a so, good example of why you should have a will or a trust as well. Like if, Yes. Oh, you know, list who the, the person, the next of kin will be. and. Mm-hmm have to hopefully they won't end up in in foster care yeah i mean and yeah definitely letting folks know who who you want to be your caregiver having that conversation whether that be godparents or or other family members like i said in most cases most folks will go to another family member but what happens if you don't have family Um, or what happens if you're coming from a family where it's well yeah in most cases hopefully you can find somebody who's willing to do it Um, but if not 
then that's then that's what happens. So. Oh man, scary! It's just scary to hear those examples and realize how, as a parent, how close you can kind of have your kids taken away by a series mm -hmm. i know it doesn't happen a whole lot but yeah, it yeah, can yeah. happen and uh, yeah those are examples like yeah you, you i mean and i think in most cases they're not quick to remove a child like i think things have to be pretty bad or pervasive uh for it to happen but those are like those are just some examples that they gave when i was when i was going through through the training but Ooh, okay, so you you are in San Diego now, and you go through the training, mm -hmm. and you're done. And then what happened? Thank gosh. So it was funny. <laughs> so I finally finished. Um, so I think I started right when I moved. I moved in September. I started classes in October. Oh, so um, you were on it. I was on it because I was like, I mean, well, also I had small person furniture. Like, what am I going to do with that that I carted across the country? So. <laughs> um, so, but I was ready to do that. So, um, so I went through the classes. I started in October. I think I finished everything by June because I had to do a couple of other classes um, as well. And then it was June, met with my social worker, um, my placement worker. Uh, and we were like, okay, yeah, let's see what happens. Okay, great. Uh, and I was minding my own business. And I think it was like early August and I was home sick. Like, I don't get sick very often, but I remember I was like, I was out, like I was on Theraflu, I was sleeping all day, I was happy because I was sleeping, like chicken soup, orange juice, ginger ale, crackers, sick, thing. you know, yeah. So, and I got a call and she was like, hey, uh, so I think I might have a match for you. And I was like, okay. And they sort of told me the tale. Um, so they said they had a 15 year old boy and I was like, okay, great, let's do it. And told me all this stuff and they were like, we think we'd be a good match. And sort of the way it's supposed to work is you're supposed to meet and, you know, you meet them where they are. You do like a meeting with them and the family they're currently with. You do a meeting by yourself. You might do like a quick, you know, one-on-ones. So it was supposed to be like a three or four day process that we were going to go do. Great. So they called me on Thursday. I needed to let them know on Friday and we were supposed to start everything on Monday. Great. So uh, Friday go in. Uh, this was also going to be a long-term placement. So they sort of gave some history that they knew up to that point. Um, so I was like, okay, great. Let them know. Long-term placement for mm -hmm. fostering, that just means whenever, like yeah. until the end of time. But not yeah. adoption, just... No, no, no. This one, there was a potential for that to happen. Okay. So... I say yes. I think they told me on Friday. I think I had to let them know on Monday. So Monday comes and I'm like, yeah, let's do it. Sure. And then they're like, okay, great. Well, some things have changed. Uh, so what we thought was going to happen is not going to happen. So he's not going to move in on Wednesday or Thursday. He's going to need to move in tomorrow. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> um, <laughs> I was supposed to be at a retreat. I had like work stuff, everything. Well, you just uh, got over being sick also. Yeah, I mean, I was, it wasn't, I luckily I wasn't that sick, but like, okay. So then... They were like, yeah, so we're not going to get to do the meeting. You're not going to get to do, like, none of the introduction. Like, literally, someone is going to show up and go from there. And, and sort of one of the things that they always talk about is, like, unfortunately, foster kids have to move a lot. And, you know, sometimes they don't have luggage. And, like, they'll bring stuff, like, in plastic bags. And I was like, please don't I've have heard a plastic that. Bag. Yeah. Oh. I was like, please don't have a plastic bag. He, he had a duffel bag, so we were good uh, in the box. But then, like, <laughs> and so here's what's funny, too, is because, you know, I, I'm totally a, a racist. And I'm thinking, like, I'm Black, they're going to give me a Black kid. It'll be fine. And so roll up, and then I see, like, this ginormous white kid. And I was like, wait, what? Okay. Um, <laughs> so... Well, in the beginning of the... Yeah. this, Okay, this brings up a good question. So... At the beginning of the foster experience, you mm -hmm. you automatically have to be open to everything. I would assume. So yes, well, no, you don't. Okay. Um, there are some things you're you supposed to be open to, like I can, I mean, you you want to be open to all uh, ethnicities, all religions, you know, all your genders, identities, expressions. But 
you do have the ability to sort of give preferences. Gotcha. And so there's, and there's a whole list. And so Stacy and I, cause Stacy's a social worker and she'd worked in foster care and this is all her fault. So uh, <laughs> she, she is like, so anytime I get a call, like I talk to the County and then my next call is to Stacy. Uh, and we run down whether I'm okay to say yes or no. Cause I'm always going to say yes. And she's like, no. And so we went through all of the things I could do and all of the other things I can't do. So we went through that list and, uh, but I pretty much said yes to most things. There were some things I probably couldn't say no to certain like, you know, severe medical needs because I'm a single person. And so it's just me and I work. Um, right. So I wouldn't be able to do the full, the full service right. that, that you would need and that full commitment, but pretty much said yes to everything and was ready to go. And, uh, and so it was just funny. I mean, it, it's not an issue, but it was... I, I really just was like expectation wise. I was like, I'm gonna get a black kid. Right. You um, just we. I I think it's considering you're a black man. Yeah. I think that's a safe assumption that mm-hmm. you would just at this point assume. And I I think there's also a big assumption that there are. I don't know if it's actually true, but you tell me if I'm wrong. That there yeah. are probably more black children in the foster care adoption than maybe some other ethnicities mm-hmm. so to you a and b together that yeah. that makes sense yeah and it's also funny not funny but there was a um there was a thing i had seen years ago uh when they were talking about adoption and you know they were pretty much the guy pretty much said if you want a white baby it's gonna take us a little while if you want a black baby i can get you one tomorrow i think um, i saw that same interview <laughs> so <laughs> i was like what um so yeah so you know, and then you just come in and, you know, we're coming in cold. So the social workers were there. They sort of go over some information with you really quickly. You sign paperwork to get phone numbers. And they're like, okay, we'll see you later. And you're like, okay, okay. And I'm like, okay, let me show you your room. Uh, <laughs> so you're with this 15-year-old yeah. tall, this, lanky, white kid. Yeah. And I'm just like, <laughs> um okay, well, let's go get comfortable in your room. Go get set up. And I was like, what am I going to do? And then we went to Chipotle for dinner because I was like, I wasn't ready to cook. Um, So we had Chipotle for dinner. And I think we had to go to GameStop because he needed to get something for his PlayStation. And that's where it all went downhill. No, I'm kidding. Uh, Because it's like me and the game PlayStations. I should have just hit the power cord because now I've got yelling in my house all days and nights uh, from him and his games. (laughs) And yeah, so, and then that was the start of, you know, parenthood, which is, you know, crazy that. That first night was awkward. Yeah, it was awkward. I mean, and then we had to sort of take, um, you know, so things that were worked out definitely in my favor is what I have a good job that I was able to work from home for a little bit because we were supposed to have a retreat that I was supposed to be at. And it was like a two day day long retreat. So I had to uh, have take an iPad to drop off into the retreat. So I was FaceTiming into the retreat uh, <laughs> for two days and, and getting used to that. So I was remote working before the rest of us were. Uh, so I was a little bit ahead of the curve on that. And, you know, I luckily had taken some time off until he started school to sort of do our family bonding and getting to know each other and doing all of those things that, that you want to do you know, with the kids. So figuring out sort of the things that we both had in common or things that we enjoyed, getting the house set up, trying to figure out where he was going to go to school uh, because he was in a different school district than where I was. Cause, and I was also at that point in two different school districts or was eligible for two different school districts. So oh, figuring so out which one, yeah. And there was one that would have been okay. And another one, which I was like, uh, you're going to that one because that's on my way to work. And well, and I was trying to be a good parent to do drop-offs and pickups. Right. And and school got out really early and I didn't get off work for like another hour, hour and a half afterwards. So, you know, where he went to school, there was a Starbucks and there was stuff nearby for him to do um, if he wasn't doing anything after school. So so that's a, that's definitely helpful and considering his age because he's yeah. he's 15. Mm-hmm. And so it's not like you have to worry about after school care where not as much, you know, no. yeah. So, um, and then in the beginning, as far as oh, you talk about giving that time to connect and yeah. become a family, what what were the things 
that you did to try and build that type of connection? And uh, how did they work out? Yes, some of them worked out better than others. Um, one, I tried to, I tried to have, make sure we had dinner together when I cooked. Um, so the rule was if I cooked, we had to eat together. If we were getting it out, I don't care. So we started doing that. And, you know, I can't cook to save my life. Um, well, I could not cook at that point to save my life. Now I've gotten pretty good. So occasionally I get a, oh, I really like that. You should make that again. So we did dinner. Um, I think we tried to find a TV show that we both liked and we would try and watch those together. So I think one of them was Orange is the New Black. And I was like, I was not, he was already watching it because I was like, you're 15, you can't watch this. But he was already in it. So I was like, well. It's like too late. I'm already that, like. That ship has sailed. Late. Yeah. <laughs> so I think we did Orange is the New Black. I think we did House of Cards. You know, I tried to bring him into the geekdom uh, by exposing him to Star Wars. Um, what did he think I, about that? You know what? He was half there. Um, but by that point, there were six of them. <laughs> so we sort of made it through parts of that. Um, and I, I feel like soon after, I think later that year was when um, The Force Awakens was coming out and we were going to see it. And I was so excited. Um, you know, I had gotten us like I had a Stormtrooper shirt. He had a Stormtrooper shirt, had my hair on a Princess Leia buns. I was very excited. And <laughs> you got your we, dreads in a Princess Leia. Yes, I put them in a Princess Leia buns. It was awesome. <laughs> and as we are driving to the theater, <laughs> he says to me, um, "Did you see the Force Awakens? Do you watch Star oh, Wars?" No, I haven't seen it. But uh, yeah, okay. I haven't. I ha you, okay. you will not be wrong. like twelve year later. Spoiler alert! Uh, so we're driving to the theater, and he goes, "So they said Han Solo dies in this. Is he important?" <laughs> I'm just like, we're driving over, like we were on an overpass. And I was like, I will drive this car off this overpass. You're like, you mother. Like, I was like, are you kidding me? So now I'm in the whole movie, like, when is it going to happen? But, oh. Oh my God, so, that's yeah. hilarious. So yeah, and so we totally were just, unaware that he ruined yeah, it totally you. unaware that he just total spoil alert, you know, ruined this movie. But it was still fine. I mean, whatever. Oh. And so there was, that was just a lot of that, um, you know, eventually, you know, getting to the point of trying to uh, listen to each other's music, because um, there was a whole lot of Drake at that time for him. And then Fetty Wap, ugh, oh, uh, hated that song so much. Um, but, you know, he's 15, so there was a whole lot of that. You know, there was a lot of trying to make sure that he maintained the relationships that he had had. So trying to meet some of the old friends that he had and introducing, you know, to new friends. Do, so they, was, do they get to keep, or do they urge them to keep the relationship with their previous foster family? Or how does that work? There was a little bit of that. Um, and so, and, and that's sort of one of the things that you try and encourage. Um, and sorry, I don't know if you can hear the truck backing up. Oh, it's, it's fine. Okay. Because <laughs> uh, I was like, beep, beep. Um, you try and maintain the relationships that they want to maintain. Um, and, and you sort of give them that, that liberty to do that. So there was a little bit of that in the beginning and encouraged, you know, like that's your choice. So we did that. And then trying to maintain some of the friendships that he had, because he also used to live far. Um, it's me being lazy far, uh, but it was really like 30 minutes, but uh, in traffic in Southern California, 30 minutes that, is like an hour. Yes, that can make a big difference. And especially when you're just going to drop them off and then going back home. And then you got to go back out again. Not that I'm bitter, still bitter. Um, <laughs> but really trying to maintain those relationships. Yeah. And then trying to build new relationships. Um, so to sort of bring him into my family and sort of bring him into my circle. Um, and make sure that he gets to meet all of the people that he gets to meet. or that. He and how was that in the beginning? Uh, it was good. Luckily, I mean, I have a very strong network, um, so everybody was super supportive and uh, super excited about it. Because, you know, we, we had school starting, you know, for Thanksgiving. We spent that with our friends. I think I had to go um, I had to go back to New York, I think, in October for a wedding, so I took him with me so he could meet my mom. Because, you know, I got to meet grandma early on. Then, because we were going to go home then, but then we also were going to go back to New York for Christmas. Um, so the first Christmas, his birthday is in December. So I sort of sent out a little, had a big email group. And so I sent out an email to all of my friends and I was like, so this is going to be his 16th birthday. 
So I need you to do, don't send any gifts, just send a card for the birthday. Uh, people did not listen. Uh, so there were gifts. So people sent like gift cards and things like that. That was really nice and he appreciated it. But it was funny because we were just cleaning up and then, so I got a lot of cards, like more cards than I even get on my birthday. And these are my <laughs> friends. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, we were I was cleaning up something the other day and like he had still the box or the the all of the cards Aww. that are there. I know. So I was like, <laughs> look at you. You're sentimental. Um, <laughs> yeah. So we were able to do that. And then we did like a fun 16th birthday party. Um, so I had for him and some of his friends. Um, that was really nice. And then, you know, pretty much after that, um, we were off to the races, so. And that, because um, we actually haven't talked in terms of years, what was, yeah. which, what was the year that you adopted him? Uh, it's probably in peak, I'm gonna get old. No, it was 2015 when he came and then adopted in 2016. Okay. So, so you guys established the school mm -hmm. and, uh, a routine, friends, you guys were able to connect. Mm -hmm. When at that point did you make the decision that it was going to become an actual adoption? So it was not me. Um, so there was a period, I think, where they ask. Um, I mean, it's, it's not up to me. So the, they get to make the determination. So your options are, you know, to remain in foster care. And you can go through a whole process of, you know, when you turn 18, you go into either transitional care um, but there's still services. It was, I think, 21 at the time. I think they've now gone up to, I think it goes up to 25 now. So, so there's still support. The second one is a foster care is one. Guardianship is the other. Um, so I just become a legal guardian. And then the third option is adoption. Okay. And, you know, we were sort of talking about it. And, and that wasn't me. It was, I think he was talking with his lawyer or, or somebody from the lawyer's office. And they were like, so what do you want to do? Do you want to you know, stay in foster care? Do you want guardianship? Do you want to get adopted? And he was very quick and adamant about being adopted. And I was like, oh. <laughs> and so, you know, so that was good. And so I was like, okay, so that's the path that we were on. Um, Did you have any idea beforehand that he might have that answer? You never know. You, like you think so, sure. But, you know, you've got options. So you can go whichever way you want to go. Um, and my, got, my role is just to be supportive. Um, so whatever you want to do, that's what we need to do. So that was nice. So there was that part uh, that, that was really cute. And then I think it was funny. So I'd gotten him a phone, you know, it's an iPhone, so it, it does everything. But I was like, you know, being a parent, I was like, don't be doing anything inappropriate and don't have that phone in the bathroom taking pictures of your junk or anything like that. <laughs> and one time he was in the bathroom and he was on the phone and talking. And then I was walking by and I was like, and I heard him talking. I was like, you better not be taking pictures of your junk in there. And then he was like, and he was laughing with his friends. He was like, oh my gosh, like, you know, my dad has told me don't be in there taking pictures of my junk. And that was like the first time I heard him refer to me as his dad. And so I was like, Ooh. oh my God, tears yeah. again. I could cry over that too. Oh. I was like, tears. I was like, okay, this might work. <laughs> <laughs> So he called you dad. Yes. And that was your first, oh my God, he, he, we are family. That yes. was the first thing. So actually, I think when I knew I was like, when I knew I was his dad or I was committed to it, we were in New York. So when I went back for the wedding, which was like in October. So that had been like a couple of months. That had barely been two months. And we were walking through Times Square uh, with one of my friends. You know, like when you're going through New York, you're, you're on a mission. Like there's no lollygagging. You're not looking up. You're going forward. So I know that my friend knows that he didn't know that. Um, so he bumped into this guy uh, and the guy was like, what the hell, what are you doing? Like, and you know, you don't know how to say, excuse me, all this other stuff. It was like ready to fight. Right. Um, and I remember sort of having to get between the two of them, like and move Nick out of the way. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm going to have to fight this man. And I don't know how to fight. But it was going to go down and hopefully my friend and Nick know how to fight too. But like, that's, I think what I knew, oh, I'm in, I'm a father, I'm a dad. And I was like, all right, here we go. So I'm in this bad boy for the long haul. So that was sort of my, yeah, somebody's dad. <laughs> so wait a minute, did you get between him and the guy? I'm yeah, I got between him and the guy. And I'm like, you know, luckily I can defuse the situation. I moved them along. I was like, he said, sorry, keep it going. And then we just went and luckily the guy didn't. He didn't want any of this smoke. So, you know, 
he he was going to start some and there was going to be some but you know we luckily we were able to get out of that one but i was ready like i was definitely like all right let's do it that papa bear came out yeah papa bear came out so <laughs> might have gotten my ass kicked but you know what well, hey, you, got, you know whether you get your ass kicked or not you're doing yeah. it for your kid yeah so so at this point he's made the decision that yeah. he wants you to adopt him Mm-hmm. And then what is that process? You know what? I mean, it's just a matter of, you know, there's a process where they have to go through of terminating parental rights. So they went through all of that stuff. They went through all the court proceedings, you know, all of that stuff. And then it was determined that it would happen. Um, and then when that happens, then you go through a whole adoption process. Um, and really, I just showed up at court one day. And I mean, it wasn't just me. Like I invited everybody and their mama, including my mama. Um, so, you know, my mom was there. Like a lot of the folks who, I think a lot of our friends who sort of supported us through the process. Yeah. Um, sort of came and, you know, you go through the whole thing and the, the judge asks you, you know, do you want to do this? Yes. They ask them, do you want to do this? Yes. And then you sign the paperwork. Everybody signs. And then you take pictures and then it's official. Then like a few months later, like the new birth certificate comes and like your name is like, my name is on the birth certificate. Oh, wow. So yeah. And then they are now yours. Yeah. And it's real. Super real. Real and on paper. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, we had a little, little house party, little party back at the house afterwards. And yeah. And then he's officially mine now and forever. Now, as far as, you know, when you mentioned that the county makes the decision to terminate Mm -hmm. parental rights, did he have any type of relationship with his family while he was with you? Um, not, maybe like a little bit of contact, but not really, but, or not that I'm aware of or anything that sort of, uh, there was probably very little contact. And as far as you know, that was... Um, it's his choice. Yes. I mean, I think it was really his his choice to not reach out um, or to maintain relationships in the, in the space that he wanted to maintain them. And along that line, because um, I know you talked about when you were in the foster care training and they mm-hmm. talk about trauma parenting, um, you know, dealing with someone who parents i'm a, and i'm you can tell me if i'm wrong parents are around mm-hmm. but he's chosen that he does not want them at this point involved in his life he's chosen you as his father mm-hmm. i'm sure with that previous and with his family relationship i'm presuming there is some sort of trauma there or hurdles rather yeah. how have those hurdles impacted your relationship and how have you been able to manage them with what you've learned? You know, I, I, I sort of look at, I, I think my philosophy towards that has been the only relationship that I have control over is the relationship that I have. Um, and one of the big things that they talk about sort of in the training is they call it this, like this invisible string um, to all of the other people that you're connected to. And you have a lot of these connections and, and my responsibility as as the parent or the caregiver in a particular situation is to make sure at least that my string is as strong as it can be. Um, but understanding that you have other strings as well um, and that those other strings don't in any way, shape or form impact my string. So that's really been my philosophy. So the relationship that we have is the relationship that we have and I'm gonna always do what I need to do. But what happened with the other relationships, my role is to be as supportive as I can be in those relationships. Um, but they don't necessarily diminish mine. So, and it's it's sort of because like one of the ways this always comes up is sort of like when I talk about being called, you know, um, being called dad or being, you know, given that title is that, and I think this is a little bit harder with mothers but I'm like, I'm not like, you can call whoever you want mommy because I'm, I'm not your mom. Uh, so that's that's not my my role. But even if you did, even if there was another dad in the situation, that doesn't negate my dadness. You know, that kids can have multiple families and they can have multiple relationships. And, you know, I always take the philosophy of the more, the better. The more parents you have, the better. The more people that you have that are going to be able to support you 
the better. So that's that's sort of been mine. You know, it's hopefully as long as that relationship is a positive one. And if it's not really trying to be able to find a way to sort of still honor that relationship or that person's role in your life without necessarily, you know, you don't have to exalt them, but you also don't have to put them down at the same time, sort of depending on on where you are, you know, in your process. Because I've had, you know, because I mean, he's been my first, like he's my first and my permanent, but I've also had multiple other placements since then, which have all been, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, and so each of them sort of brings a different, Everyone has, like, no two have had the same story. No two have had the same situation. Different ones have had different relationships with their parents and different levels of involvement of parents or other family members. And, again, my my job really is to just make sure that I'm doing what I, uh, you know, my caregiving role and being on point with that. Right. And then all the rest of it, you know, once again, trying to manage and mitigate that. So if it's a positive relationship, you know, how do I continue to, to support that positive relationship and make sure that, you know, the child has a good relationship with the parent that they, that they want to have? If it's not great, what are some of the things I can do to support to make that great, especially when they want it? And all of those, those various things, you know, that sort of happen and balance and, and manage. Yeah, no, I think that's a great way of looking at it. And it also keeps you out of the drama of Mm -hmm. whatever was happening before you entered the picture. Because like you said, the only thing you can control is your relationship with them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, having a child come into your life and then not knowing up until certain points, all of, like you said, the whole picture, you, you don't know what's, what's happening. So the only thing that you can really go from is just supporting them in the best way you can. Yeah. How is it, do you think that when you have uh, other fosters or have had other fosters with uh, Nick, with your son, do you think that it's helpful, helpful for them to see uh, someone that has been in the same situation that they have perhaps been in and you can tell me are have has nick always been the older one or the other ones have they been younger uh never he's always been the oldest okay um and this sort of it, it it depends it depends on the uh i think it depends on the kid and the situation um so he's had sort of different relationships with all of them the, you know and it's and i've, I've only had and like I said, there's, there's, there's been different levels. So there've been some that I know are only going to be there for a short period of time. Um, so I've had probably a few that were on the path to reunification. At that point, I'm just sort of caregiving, taking care of things, being sort of the bridge right. um, for there. And then others that were probably going to be more long-term and depending on sort of what their choices were, what they wanted to do sort of determine. Because again, most of them will have that option of what do they want to do. And I think he's been the only one that's articulated wanting to be adopted. The others who are older all wanted to um, sort of remain in um, or just transition out when they turn 18. Really? Or transition into something else. Mm -hmm. Why do you think that is? You know, I don't know. I don't, I I mean, and again, it's one of those things that I've never, I don't, I have, I don't really ask. I don't really ask because I mean, that's their decision. And my, my job really is just to support you and what you want to do and help create the opportunity that you're clearly like, I'm not rushing you out, but, um, but that's, that's sort of your decision to make. I mean, you're making a choice to enter into the family, to enter into this long-term sort of thing. And, you know, not everybody wants that and that's okay. Cause that's, that's why they have the options, you know, so that they've got many options that, that they can take care of, that they can take advantage of. Right. Um, because, you know, there's uh, transitional care is, is, you know, not a bad deal. Like, you know, you get support with housing, you get support with resources, you know, you still have social workers who are working with you, you have access to education, you have access to, you know, job training and all these other supports that would sort of serve similar roles that you would have in a family. Um, I think the other hard part is if you've been in the the foster care system, which is a system and it's a bureaucracy, um, 
that when you've been in that, I think there's a certain point where you just might be like, you know what, I just want to go make my own decisions and not really have to, you know, answer to anyone else. Yeah, and, and get to be the adult that I want to be. Yeah, find your so. own route for independence and mm -hmm. just kind of keep going that direction. And then that way you don't have to be beholden to anybody. Right. Oh, that makes oh. sense. So, uh, how old is Nick now? Uh, he'll be 21 in December. Oh my God. So, what are his plans? Mm, your guess is as good as mine. <laughs> um, that is the question we ask on a regular basis. And it is hard because there's, well, it's hard because at one point it's like, um, sir, I am going to need you to go do something. But finding out what you want to do and sort of pushing in that direction, because there's, there's some points where I'm, real, I'm just being a, a big pushover on it. But it was funny because I'm like, uh, he, I think he was asking something. He was like, when are you going grocery shopping? And I'm like, uh, I'm not because I'm on a diet plan right now. So I'm like, all oh, my food is here. And so you're old enough to get a job and buy your own food. Uh, although I did totally eat a bag of his chips the other day. Um, so I have to go replace those because I'm a good person. But <laughs> um, but again, to say, sir, you're almost 21. So you can eat anything that's in the house, but I'm not going out specifically to buy you food. So you're going to have to start doing that. And, you know, really encouraging to get a job because he wants to move. Uh, he's always threatening to move somewhere. To go out of the friends. state or out of the city? Definitely out of the city. So L.A. was on the list again recently. I think Vegas was there for like a week. Portland was there for like a couple of days, too. So he's always got plans. But And I'm just like, you know, you can go. I just need to sort of get you to do some things before you go. Right. So Because you do know you have to pay rent every month. And... We need to have some stable employment for at least six months before you go. But I'm not in no rush to. Uh, Stacy harasses me all the time that he's going to live with me forever, and he has to, and I can't ever kick him out. So, <laughs> um, like, not true. No. <laughs> um, but yeah, but it's it's fine. Um, yeah, I, I think he's still trying to figure out what he wants to do, which is fine. I mean, I'm giving a little bit of I give a little bit of grace. Because I think there's there's also another part where chronological age and emotional age are not always the same. Oh, so, yeah. But he's getting better. So he's, he's definitely getting much closer. I think he's definitely like 18, 19 in emotional age right now. Don't tell him I said this, even though this is a podcast. <laughs> um, yeah, I was but, about to say that because, you know, you adopting him at that, yeah. you know, being adopted, you know, he was 15, or 16. Mm -hmm. And so he's had like four or five years of, a family of like that sort of support mm -hmm. and I could see as a young adult kind of wanting to lean into that after not having that for so long of being mm -hmm. like yeah I like you know perhaps not having a job and not having to think about you know where things are going to go and so yeah. there definitely is some emotional growth that has to happen there to match for, you know like you said, there's there could be a, a gap in that because he has probably been not had to really ha hasn't had that type of support and also not had to really think about that until now because yeah. a lot of it was probably just survival, just like being stable. Yeah, and and and, it's, and this is not the thing that I I just want him to get a job, um, so I don't have to pay for everything because it's not like I'm I'm not charging him rent or. Uh, doing anything like that, but I'm like, I, I do want you to be able to take care of yourself. Yeah. Because uh, I always joke, if I die, my mother's not giving you anything. So you, you got to get on it um, or be able to take care of yourself. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's the job of a parent. Yeah. You got yeah. to teach him how to fend for himself. Mm -hmm. and, and, and to do so in an environment, I mean, yeah, because I think this is, see, this is also the funny thing. And I don't know if this is, I think it's semi cultural because, you know, like, when you're black, you turn 18, your parents start looking at you like, um, <laughs> so what's your plan? Uh, <laughs> it's got to be a plan. Like if the plan yeah. is college, great. Yeah. But if it's not college, then where are you going to be working? Yeah. And, and where are you going to be living? Work? Yes. Exactly. Like it's not the, the, yeah, the free ride is over. And, you know, hindsight being 2020, I think I always knew that. So I always thought that's what I wanted. But I really should live with my mother for significantly longer than I did, just so I got some things a little bit more financially stable. And so I really want to be able to make sure that for him and for the others that come after him, because I'm not done yet, because I keep joking, I want like five kids. 
but I'm only half kidding. But so, <laughs> but to really be able to make sure that they're in a good space, that when they're ready to go out, that they're prepared, like, you know, that they have money saved, that they've been working for a while, that they know how to budget, that they, you know, can cook and semi take care of themselves, which I, I have not been very successful with him. Like I'm, I don't know the last time he's cooked something. Uh, he is quite good at Uber Eats. Um, <laughs> As is every <laughs> I know, I major know, young adult at this point. <laughs> um, but, you know, really still trying to sort of do that. So every so often, you know, like I'm horrible because I'm like, he's like, can you do something? And I was like, yeah, go fill out a job application. And then when you get done, I'll do it. So I'm totally like quid pro quoing him on a regular basis. <laughs> <laughs> Well, speaking, going back to those five kids, that was actually going to be my next question. So five kids, uh, fostering or adopting? Uh, probably, uh, probably, I mean, I think I'll always probably be a foster parent. Uh, but then I have also, you know, now that I'm a different place in my life. Um, I'm starting to look into the surrogacy thing again. Really? Okay. Yeah. That will probably be the next portion of the journey. And then we'll see what happens from there. Because me and a child, I'm ready, uh, but I'm not ready. Well, yeah, like, it's interesting because, you know, I have a young child. Like, yes. you know, we have a three-and-a-half-year-old, and you have a young adult. You got him when he was a teenager. Yeah. And those two phases of parenting, I feel like, are very different. Like, I feel like, you know, raising a toddler right now, I'm starting to see sprinklings of her personalities coming out. And... I'm terrified of how that's going to play out as a teenager. I yeah. am already terrified, you know, being the mother of a very, very uh, strong-willed girl. Yeah. So I think surrogacy and having a baby is going to be such a completely different experience for you. Yeah, completely different, completely different. And But I'm okay with that, I think. Because, I mean, not I think I am. And, you know, I'm ready for, I'm sort of ready to try and do it from the start and sort of lay, a, a, lay the foundation and raise a baby from infancy into young adulthood. Although by then I'm going to be so old. Oh my gosh, but it's okay. It's but okay. Yeah. So, but I'm, I'm assuming at this point, the lesbian is no longer a part no, of No, she's, they're out of the equation. They're out of the picture. It's just you. Yeah. And the baby. Yes. And my village. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Like, that's still a whole other journey. That's a whole other podcast. Oh, no. Yeah, we'll have to, we'll have to have you <laughs> whenever that happens or doesn't happen or how it pans yeah. out. We're going to try it. We're yeah. going to try it. I yeah, found that I have, I've, I've got till 55 which is terrifying, but, you know, at least gives me a horizon. So yeah. we'll see. We'll see. So to close out, what would be your, okay. Have you had any friends that have wanted to foster or adopt? Um, I have, I have. So people ask questions all the time about What's that. What's the advice that you find yourself giving the most? Um, if, like even with the best preparation, you're still not prepared. I think as long as you can, you have patience um, and forgiveness, you you will be fine. Um, so as long as you can be patient and you can forgive, you will be fine. Because you, you re, I mean, it's it's a great thing to do if for no other reason that the alternative is just so not good. The big thing about unfortunately for kids in foster care is that they didn't do anything to go into foster care. Uh, so they, they're a victim of a circumstance yeah. um, that is not of their doing. And kids deserve a home. They deserve a, a loving home and a supportive home right. for whatever period of time that you're able to do that, that you can sort of make a difference in, in a kid's life. And that hopefully during that time that you're able to make the biggest difference that you can make. Because they're going to make a difference in your life, absolutely. Um, but the difference that you'll make in their lives could, could really be transformative and the bridge that they need to get through a really difficult time in their life. Yeah. You know? um, and again, especially because it's not their fault. Cause you know, I, I, it's a half a joke, but I'm like, yeah. Cause they're like, Oh, why would you do that? I'm like, I didn't say I'm taking a kid from juvenile hall. Like, you know, um, and not that we shouldn't even have juvenile hall, but 
you know, these are kids who are in need of a home and someone who's going to love them and to care for them. And that's, that's why you should do it. And it's, it's, it is good work and it's necessary work. Um, while we have a system like this that we have to have it, we also need the best people in it. There was a, ooh, see, Stacy always getting me into trouble. There was a documentary uh, that was on HBO about sort of the foster care system and sort of how that works. Uh, and I'm going to absolutely forget the name of it. I will find it for you. But it was so good. And it was just like, yes. Um, and it sort of just takes you through the whole thing. Because we can have a lot more positive stories about the system, especially if we're able to get people who are really in and who care and, and want to be parents and want to be caregivers. You know, we see some things since I'm in a couple of different groups. So there's always folks who say, you know, I can't do it because I don't think I can deal with the heartbreak and once they leave. And sort of the advice to that is, I mean, really just to think about what the difference is that you can make while they're with you, you know, and, and to really do that because we need good people to step up. And it's like, you know, you'll be able to deal with the heartbreak. That's how you know when you did a good job. Like when they leave and you're like, mm, you know, that's how you know you did a good job. Oh my God, um, that's so sad, but it's so, so true. It's so true. There, there was one kid that I had that... Uh, I call him, he was like my sorbet because he was literally the sweetest child. Everyone who met him was like, oh, we love him. And, you know, and just knowing that I was able to sort of care for him for the period of time that I was definitely changed me. And I think it had changed him too. So. And did he go back to his family? So that's the other thing is like sort of sometimes it's like a black hole. Uh, So you don't know really what happens uh, after they go. Um, And it was it was funny. We did did go back member for a period of time. And then I ran into him at an event and he was back in. But hopefully I think it was hopefully I'm very optimistic that it was only for a short time uh, because one of the big things is that, you know, they try and keep siblings together as much as possible. And he was in a sibling group. Okay. Um, so he was with me for a minute, but then when he went back in, he was with his siblings. So hopefully that was a, a better, like that was good. Cause you know, yeah. you don't want to be like, I'm awesome, but I'm not as awesome as your sibling. Right. So, and really at the end of the day, you don't want them to be separated. Like, no, not at all. Not at all. If you can help it. Yeah. You want to try and keep the, keep the kids together. So Oh, oh, well, hopefully he's, I, he's oh, I don't even know him, but he just sounds so sweet. I, I hope that it all worked out for him. Yeah, no, I think it did. I mean, and yeah, I think it will. I think it did. Because honestly, I, I think if they were to come back in, they would have called me. So, but it, it was always good. So it's been a goody. Good, good, good. Aww. Is there something that you wish someone had told you when you were mm-hmm. starting this journey? Um, you know, I think the big thing is, or the thing that they told me that I think I wish I would have done sooner, um, was getting support, whether that's through a therapist, um, for myself and then, or group therapy or therapy for your kids. Um, cause therapy is your friend and that was tremendous in helping me through it. You know, when things started going, because, you know, you're dealing with a kid and there's so many things that are that are happening and you always got to figure out, um, is this the worst thing that can be happening right now or how is it relative speaking? So when I go to sort of my support groups, I can find out that, oh, okay, well, that's not as bad as I thought it was um, because there's somebody else's kid who's going through a whole lot worse um, or they're going through a whole lot worse. So it was really good to put things into perspective. And it's also sort of helpful to talk with other foster parents because it's not necessarily the same as raising your your biological child um, or a child that you adopted from birth. There's still a whole life, you know, and a whole bunch of other things that they've been dealing with and, and different ways that that manifests itself. That it's just helpful to talk with other folks who are going through similar situations. Um, so that's one of the things I wish I would have done earlier um, yeah. is seeking out that support um, and having that support. Yeah. And just having some examples of, of other people's mm-hmm. similar experiences, but also knowing that you're not alone for sure yeah. in that. Definitely. 
and then it also, I, I mean, I am lucky to have a lot of friends who are social workers who work with foster youth. So I've got a bunch of people that I can call and be like, um, this is my situation. And, you know, they can, you know, talk me down or talk me through it. Um, so that was one thing that was super helpful for me. So, yeah. so yeah. So you guys, if you yeah. have a social worker friend. Yeah. Or make one. Social workers are the best. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we are at the end, Kafele. Thank you so much for sharing your story. I learned so much. I, I wanted to come into this purposely not okay. knowing anything so I could really come from a place of, like, learning. And I really learned a lot. Like, I, I just had no idea all of the little intricacies of going into fostering and adopting. So mm-hmm. I hope that... Um, Oh, for people that are listening, I hope that they learned something because I did. <laughs> um, where, if if you want people to reach out to you, let's say they have some questions about fostering, would you want them to reach out to you? If they can, sure. where would they reach out to you? Do you want to share your social media or anything? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm on all the socials. So just type in Kefele. Um, so K-A-F-E-L-E. Uh, that's me on Twitter. Uh, full name Kefele Kalfani on Instagram. So just type in Kefele and you'll figure out Kalfani because there's only like 200 of us um, <laughs> on Instagram. But yeah. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much. My pleasure. <laughs> you guys. Aww. That conversation made me feel so warm and fuzzy inside, um, especially when he was talking about how um, Nick called him dad. And uh, it just really made me think about the first time Sonara was able to say, um, mom, and now she can yell it from the rooftops <laughs> uh, and scream it from the other room. Um, but that first moment, you just you just never forget that. Um, and uh, yeah, I love hearing about his journey and, you know, his philosophy, which I think we can all use in our relationships, which is that, you know, the only relationship you have control over is the relationship that you have. And as long as you keep that strong and keep that connected, then you have done your job. So, yeah, I really appreciate Kavele coming on and sharing his story and like you said if you guys want to know more about that journey want to know more about those things feel free to reach out to him on Facebook and Instagram I'll put the links in the show notes and yeah get more info from him I'm sure he would be happy to share that as well as you know what if you're on all those social medias, you might as well go on to our Facebook page, That One Blank Friend Podcast on Facebook or on IG at That One Blank Friend and follow us. See what's going on. Look at our stories, you know, be in our world. And that way I can get maybe more insight into your world. Oh, also, speaking on sharing our worlds, I am doing a solo show October 4th. It's streaming live here in Los Angeles at the White Fire Theater. It's October 4th, 7 p.m. The show is called Release and Let Go, a journey of solo artists. I'll be performing an excerpt of 10 minutes of my solo show that I'm still writing. This is really vulnerable for me. So I can't even believe I'm saying this to you guys, but if you feel so inclined, I will provide the show, the info for the show in the link. Please go click on it, buy a ticket. Again, the show is streaming live October 4th, 7 p.m. And there you have it. Go buy a ticket. Support me. Damn it. Support me. I mean, thank you. Please. Yes, please. Please support me. That's it. I'm saying a lot of ums today. My husband's going to have a lot of ums to cut out of this podcast thank you baby all right you guys i'm out till next time